We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius, no mic today. And today we're going to talk about some of our favorite two-man combos, three-man combos. Maybe not favorite, it's a little early for favorite, but certainly intriguing from that first game. I think there's a lot to be to be learned in a, on a different roster and a, a different style of play that I, I think is starting to emerge. D, you always like to look at the game. You know, you'll always you know go on NBA.com and look at those two or three-man lineups to see these two guys play well together, these guys don't. This trio you know has nice synergy. So I'm curious, who stood out to you in that respect in the first game? Let's look at the starting lineup because I think that there's information to, to be gleaned based off of that five-man unit in general, but also what Vogel might have been looking at when thinking, those are the five guys I'm going to start, right? Because he had a bunch of different options. And one thing I'd like to discuss with you, DeAndre Jordan didn't play very well. In the last pod, Mike sort of mentioned like, hey, like practice could have been like Lakers have been going hard in practice. It was an early start start time. Um, Mike has relayed this to us, but he also shared on the pod that there was word coming out of some of the practices that DeAndre had looked really good in in practice. And so it's not a surprise to me that Jordan then was probably the guy who was looked at as a starter. I thought Jordan had some up and down moments, but I was intrigued a little bit by the defensive potential of just size that him and AD offered together. Both of them made a couple of plays around the basket that I thought were like, oh, that's where just being big matters, right? And Vogel, you know Vogel, man. Vogel's eyes light up whenever he talks about having size on the back line and Mm -hmm. length back there. And I think that we've talked about this a lot, not only on the pod, but 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 offline, like when someone tells you what they want or what they mean, you should probably believe them. 
And yep. Vogel's a guy who has talked a lot about wanting big dudes back there to protect the rim. And when he talks about the strength of his defense of this particular team and their defense, he talks about paint protection and back line protection. And so the idea of AD playing with the amount of sort of like bounciness and agility that he showed in the first preseason game, which I thought was a pretty good indication of where his head is and where his body is. I thought AD looked good defensively and he looked like more of the guy who could cover for maybe a more limited big man partner um, in ways that were not true last season. And so for me, the first thing I'd like to discuss with you is that Jordan and AD combo, because as much as you or I may not be as into that, and I'm not sure where you are with that, I think that pairing is going to get a long leash to sort of determine if they can play together and how effective they they can be together, particularly with the lack of power, traditional power forward depth that this team has. And, and so I'd love to just get your initial thoughts too. Like what you see from them, both good and, and bad, and potentially putting the bad into context about like what we think matters from that and what doesn't. Sure. I, I thought Jordan was mostly bad on the defensive end, unless he was in a no roller behind coverage. And that was pretty much true on the tape I saw of him in Brooklyn as well. There's all of the context of 1230 preseason game and all that. I think the most important one is the style of team that Brooklyn is, right, is that Jordan's not going to be appropriate against teams that have bigs that can pick and pop. So a Paul Millsap, who's playing five for them, LaMarcus Aldridge, we gave up a lot of points because DeAndre Jordan can't close out to the perimeter. And so that's the negative of having him on the floor. So if that's always teams are always going to look to exploit that if they have the capability to do that. So the appropriate times to play Jordan is when they can't go five out, when they've got a big that's on the floor that is not a threat. That's a similar player to him. Now, where you see that in NBA rotations is usually in the starters. More and more that end of first quarter, start of second quarter type of units are teams that have all five guys who can be a credible threat from three-point range. And so it's that's my concern is that if DJ doesn't start, and I don't think he's going to, we'll see, but if, then other parts of the game are particularly appropriate for him, and yeah. it kind of cancels out a lot of the good that you're talking about because I don't want to act like you know, Vogel's wrong to value rim protection. It's, no, it's no, not no. a matter of that. It's just like, it's, you have to do it at a certain time. And Jordan is a very specific player. I thought he looked capable in drop coverages when there was a roller, just like you said, where, when too. there was yeah. a roller. So like whenever he was matched up with Nick Claxton, Claxton's a guy who took Jordan's minutes last season with those same nets. And it's because Claxton's basically a better version of DeAndre at this stage of his career, right? Like Claxton is the up and coming young guy. He is the lob catcher. He is the guy who moves well. He is the dude who can play above the rim. And that was Jordan for the better part of a decade. He made an all NBA team and has shot in regularly at the 60 percentage area, right? Like just because he's a good finisher and can protect the basket and is a good rebounder or has been traditionally. The reason why though, I wanted to start with him and AD is because that length and that size is something that Vogel sort of covets, right? And I'll be interested to see how much rope they get in groupings or against groupings that do try to exploit him. I thought Jordan was a much better option 
when Claxton was in the game. Yes. And, and that'll always be true, D. That like it's always gonna be true. If they've got a guy who can pick and pop, like Jordan just can't get out to yeah. the perimeter and do what you need to do on the perimeter. And so that story is gonna play itself out whenever if if he's in the lineup, that that's always gonna happen if the other team's got shooters. So let's move on from the bigs at sure. this point. Let's talk more about like perimeter stuff. Either starters or reserves, because there were some Choices that Vogel made, I think, that sort of might inform what he's thinking about lineups and rotations, even though he had a greatly diminished roster because of the guys who sat out, right? And so there's only so much you can know when two of your best three players don't play and both of your and all three of your sort of combo forwards don't play. Right. Right. These and are so, all little morsels of evidence, though, whatever you can get from it. So you got to find like, what are the parts that you can take from something like this? And what's just very unique to it? Like, I don't think THT is going to get a ton of minutes at the four at the four spot, you know, like, but there, there is still stuff that we can learn. And to that that question, D, is I think I suspect that the start of the second and fourth quarters those LeBron-led units are going to be LeBron, Dwight, and Shooters. I could see Monk and Ellington playing at the same time there. Me too. And I think that, and maybe even Carmelo Anthony in there. Now, you've got some defensive issues, but that that group will light, you know, light second units on fire offensively. They're going to, they would score so many points, at least in the regular season, right? And this is where, this is going to be an ongoing discussion throughout the year is what is real once the playoffs come and, and who can do what. The big thing I saw, and sorry to take this back to the bigs, is Dwight, when Dwight was on the floor, we were mostly five out, regardless of, you know, and yep. he would go to the dunker spot a couple of times. With DJ, it was mostly him in the dunker spot, had a couple of five out possessions, but would, and so Dwight setting those wide pin down screens or just uh, getting into ball screen action with Malik Monk, a few of Malik Monk's pull up jumpers came from Dwight just kind of washing out his, the guy that was fighting over, over the screen, uh, set some good screens for, for Ellington. None, both Monk and none are kind of like drop coverage killers. So when Nicholas Claxton was in the game, they were able to just step into their jumper and get clean looks and they're great on that particular shot. So that was exciting. So anyway, that was what stood out to me is that I, I, I can see a second unit of LeBron, Dwight and three shooters. How about you, man? What kind of emerged in, in little clues that you found? No, I thought that I think Monk and Ellington, whenever Monk and Ellington are on the floor together or whenever Monk and and, and even none to a certain extent. Right. And so when I'm thinking about lineup combinations with with the Lakers, I definitely think Dwight and LeBron are going to be a two man duo that is going to be super important for the Lakers this season because Vogel now. Alex Crusoe was a big part of that unit success, that bench unit, right? But Vogel's likely to go back to the well, back to that well again, because he knows that that pairing had success when Dwight was here last in the championship season in 2020. And so the formula around that, I think, is what you're saying is correct. Put shooters around that that group. The question to me is, and this is where Monk's skill set, I think, is super important, because can he be that secondary ball handler, the guy who brings the ball up on 
15 or 20% of the possessions when he's in the game with LeBron in order to alleviate the offensive initiation burden so that LeBron doesn't have to be the guy who does that 100% of the time. I think sometimes he'll be able to do that, but I think that's where we're going to see LeBron step on the gas. That's the part of the game we'll see him step on the gas because it's Russell Westbrook alleviating that burden for him with the starting unit. So whatever on-ball stuff that LeBron wants to kind of get back to doing what he does in that respect, those will be the times to do that because I don't think Russell will be on the floor during those times. Yeah, and I think that that's fair, but... Even in those instances, they're like, so go back to the starting lineup in the 2019-20 season. Avery Bradley would bring the ball up some, not a lot, but some, right? Even on those second units that I mentioned before, Alex Caruso would be that guy who would bring the ball up some. Yeah, I think Monk's a better ball handler than, than Alex or around the same as Avery. Like Avery was a decent ball handler. I think Monk could do that. And so what what I'm talking about is because if Monk can't be that guy, then you may need to bring in THT or you may need to bring in none. Monk could be the pivot point for that lineup is basically the point that that I'm making, because a two man pairing that I'm super interested in is Monk and Ellington, because those guys, those guys are shooter shooters Mm -hmm. they want to like and they are not shy they are not bashful about getting up shots and those are the types of dudes that when you add a guy like carmelo anthony potentially to that group it's like oh boy time to look out there right Right. score a ton of points yeah because you could score a ton of points there you could even potentially depending on who the other forward is you could even put kent bazemore out there now bazemore's a little small to play small forward. They need defense. That's the thing. Like, I, it sounds all great. Monk and Ellington and Mello and a shot creator and LeBron and a guy that sets great screens and rolls hard and Dwight and all that sounds good. But one of the things when you talk about Monk and Ellington, that I'm, I'm thinking, like, do we want to build a unit where two of the guys we're not sure can play in the playoffs? Yeah. Right? So that's my big concern in that. But offensively, yeah. But that's the thing, though, is... Who is on the court opposite of those guys? Who do, who do they have to guard? What are their responsibilities? And what's the ask of LeBron at that point? And who the other forward is, right? And so there's the interesting thing to me is like there's like seven backcourt guys who all deserve to play on this team. There's really not a backcourt guy on the team who deserves to be out of the lineup, right? Even Rondo you could argue, deserves to be in the lineup. He's probably not going to be. There's too many other guys in front of him. But all of those pairings then, there are interesting traits that all of those pairings have that I think are worth exploring and that Vogel's going to want to get some data on, from my opinion. And I think he needs to figure out who of these guys can actually play in a three-guard lineup and defend up. A position. I think he already believes that THT can be one of those guys, um, and it's one of the reasons why I think that he started him. I already think that he believes Bazemore could be one of those guys, and I think that's why he started him as well, because the idea of, okay, you go guard one of those dudes, I think that he's going to learn very quickly that Monk can't guard up a position. In fact, Monk is probably not even super equipped to guard most shooting guards in the league. Um, 
And I think Ellington is another one of those dudes where I don't know who Ellington can capably defend at all. Like, he's not athletic enough, really, to defend shooting guards, but he's not equipped to guard point guards, really. And so, and he definitely can't guard up the wing. And so, building out defensive lineups where Ellington's involved is tricky as well. Like, you need to protect him, but how do you protect him enough while not leaving him on an island as like the only shooter where you just devote too many resources to him where it's just like, yeah, that's nice. It opens up things for other guys, but you also want Ellington to get shots. It's why he's in the game. You don't want him out there just to be a decoy. You want him out there to get him open and have him make shots. You want the three points. That's why he's in the game. It'll be interesting to me over the course of the preseason, like what Vogel does to counter that and strike the right balance. But I'm interested in what you saw, not only live, but in the rewatch. Yeah, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I I did see some clues of what how Vogel may be accounting for the defensive mismatches and guys who bring a lot of offensive value, but maybe you got to cover for on the defensive end. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about that. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore, because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out in transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
I thought our defense on LaMarcus Aldridge and uh, their post players in particular was revealing in that we were in full denial and or we would be switching a lot, even when DJ was on the floor. I want to talk about trapping. this. And trapping. Yes. So the the idea of like, how do you cover for a guy who's not a good... Because we were talking... I was expressing that concern of, do we want to build a unit around Monk and Ellington, both of whom would be targeted in a playoff series? Well, how do you cover for guys that are targeted? How do you help them? Like, what are some of the ways that you do that is... The, the best way is to trap and recover. So you've got Wayne Ellington on an island versus Devin Booker or campaign or Chris Paul. Let's just focus on the Suns, possible, you know, Western Conference playoff opponent. Ellington can't guard any of those guys in a one-on-one situation, right? And, and like, that's not going to change either. There's a reason why a player who's as good of a shooter as he is, this guy can, I know he didn't shoot well in the first game, but I'm telling you, like, his his addition's a big deal. Those guys usually make nice, hefty contracts. His defense is the reason why he's not right. He's 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 not in uh, he's not in that tier. And so, how do you account for that? How do you deal with that? Those trap and recovers. We gave up a lot of wing threes because we would trap a guy and then not rotate over soon enough to that first pass away. And that's the. How you so that's what happens when you trap is you want to take that first pass away and give up weak side. You want one guarding two on the weak side and then rotate. And that's how you can use the speed of Monk or even Ellington's a smart defender, even if he's not doesn't have a lot of physical tools. He knows the right place to be in as a team guy. And so ideally you can get him in a rotation and in an X out where it's like he might not be able to stay in front of this guy, but he knows, oh, I'm supposed to close out to the corner here and he's going to not make any false steps and go right there. So we didn't do that particularly well, but that was the some of the clues to me is that perhaps that we continue to trap and get into rotation as much as possible. Well, I just think, too, that one of the things that the Lakers did deep, well, defensively, and now I'm going to take us on a, on a trip down a different topic. Please but, do. Please but do. I think it's important because Vogel... One of the things that the Lakers did last season is when you have guards who can't quite get over the top of screens, who aren't physical enough to really get through all of the time. Like Schroeder, like, for example. Like yeah. Schroeder, for for example. Even KCP to a certain extent. Sure. Caruso, not as much. Avery Bradley, not as much. Danny Green, not at all. Right. Like Danny Green is oh, just like, blown through screens. I, yeah. I, I'm shouldering you and then that's it. Like I'm through. But last season's team versus the championship team, you saw a, a, a regression in ability to get through through screens. And one of the things that was happening to the Lakers that was hurting them is that they their guards were getting caught in this in-between zone where they were trying to get over the top of the screen. They couldn't quite get there. The ball handler was engaging their bigs, and now the guard was not sure where he was going after that. And should I switch yeah, and go yeah. to the big man, or should I, should I really recover? And it ended up messing up the Lakers. A bunch. And yeah. it happened a bunch even in the Sun series where and that's how Aiton was eating so much because those switches at the end were very reluctant switches. And then it was just like, oh, now KCP is or Dennis is trying to box out DeAndre Aiton. And that's why he was going nine for 11 from the field. Right. With eight offensive rebounds. Yes. Yeah. But that's why. <laughs> and so the Lakers, I thought it was interesting, Pete, is that 
It was built into the scheme. They were peel off. They were peel off switches. Basically, the guard was not getting all the way over the top of the screen and he was peeling off and he was switching to the big. And they were doing that, especially against that first unit where it was Millsap and LaMarcus, who were both pick and pop bigs. But both those bigs are also bigs who, after they pop, if they've got a small guy on them, they're both historically pretty good post players as well. So they were trying to walk down the Lakers guards into the post. And that's when you saw a lot of the three quarter or full denial post defense from small guys. And then that's when you saw a lot of the scrambling from weak side guards trying to come and double team and then disrupt and it's one of the reasons why the Lakers really struggled on the defensive backboards as well. It wasn't just because they were small. It was, that was part of it, but it was also because big guys weren't guarding big guys at that point. They were on smaller dudes and it was on the Lakers guards and wings to keep big guys off of the defensive glass. And so I'm super interested in this idea of how do you, because the next step out of that is then scramming them out. And you could tell the Lakers are in the very early stages of what they want to do defensively. They were point. There was a lot of pointing like, no, no, no. Like rotate there. You're rotate. You're you're rotating to the, which is good. That's how you make these steps is, is that's, that's progress. And that's something that I've heard about training camp is a lot of guys pulling us, you know, guys aside talking like, Hey, naturally we we do this this way. We're going to close out here and at this angle and all of that, that's all progress. And so when we talk and getting back to the defensive pairing stuff and who are guys that can and will potentially play together and how do you account for some of their deficiencies, particularly defensively, the way that you can do that is by getting more and more complicated on the back end within rotations and how you get guys out of potentially bad matchups or or send help in more creative ways or just basic ways sometimes in order to help those guys and then rotate off off of that. And so there is an aptitude that those guys need to have from a mental standpoint and processing standpoint to account for their limitations that I'll I'll be super interested to see if they have that stuff, because if they do, they can play Pete. That's if right. They don't. It's going to be harder for them because you're not helping us help you. Right. Yes. We're trying to help you, but you ain't letting us. There's a processing speed that you need to have. And some guys just don't have that. But the physical stuff matters, too. Like, you can know how to do it. I I know how to do most of it, like what's supposed to happen. I can't physically go out there and do it. And so there is still going to be a certain even if so the player that you just described to me defensively is similar to Wayne Ellington. That's what I was saying is like he knows the right place to be, where to go. That's that aptitude that you're talking about. But he's also going to get cooked by a Cam Thomas or certainly in, a, in the playoffs. And so there is advantage will be created as a result. Now, you may be able to rotate and help eliminate that advantage. And that's where it comes down to. And so in thinking this out, and I'm, I love that we're having this conversation, your monks, your Ellingtons, your can they defend in the playoffs types of guys. I think AD needs to be out there in those yeah. lineups. If if that is a more viable playoff lineup is and but that means a completely different rotation, most likely. Anyway, this is a whole rabbit hole to go down. But the the point being is that advantage will be created against a Monk. Advantage will be created against an Ellington in those playoff type series. 
but AD is an advantage eraser, eraser. Can we get back to a neutral on plays? AD can get you back to neutral on plays. LeBron James can help you get back to neutral yeah. as well. So there's actually an argument to be made that if we're going to have those guys out there, we need to have our very best defenders, yeah. our very best advantage racers around them. And in that respect, that's like, so if you've got those guys and then also DeAndre Jordan out there or also Carmelo Anthony out there, you're at a point of failure. Like you don't have enough guys out there. But if we're going to have probably even one guy, the other four have to be pretty good on that end. Well, I think that you need the, the thing that was interesting to me is so l- let's start a list. Who impressed you defensively in the first I like this. game? Taylor Horton Tucker, I thought, did a great job of fighting over screens. We drew a bunch of illegal screen violations. The ref was kind of on. Don't get me started on the refs. That freaking 10 minute delay. It's ridiculous. That's a whole nother rant. Anyway. They were emphasizing that, so we got some calls, as did Brooklyn, on some lame, yeah, like, Dwight yeah, I fouled guess. out, I mean, yeah. partially because of that, right? And like, so, right, and some of those were like, come on, you know, but THT was going over the top of screens. Kendrick Nunn was another guy who I thought was good going over the top. That was the thing I was most pleased by on the defensive end, is our guards were really getting over the top of screens in a way that's crucial to Vogel's defensive scheme, yeah. and that's one of my bigger questions, uh, you know, about the team. So, really encouraging start. I thought Nunn and THT were, were really good how about you so none and tht also i thought were good i thought Bazemore was good i thought yes. anthony davis was good i thought dwight howard was mostly good as well a little physical drew some fat fou- like <laughs> sure committed that's some dwight. fouls but that's dwight forecasting out i think another thing that's going to be very interesting to me is how good is trevor Ariza? how good is russell westbrook and what is LeBron James' commitment level defensively? Because I think I think the Lakers are going to need three good defenders on the court. And one of them is going to have to be a backline guy. The beautiful thing is that both AD and I'm going to channel Mike here. Mike's not here, but I'm going to channel him here. The beautiful thing about LeBron James is that he can be a perimeter guy and he can be a backline guy. The beautiful thing about Anthony Davis is that he can be a perimeter guy and he can be a backline guy. Yeah. There is a defensive versatility there. There is an unlocking. They are the key makers, as I've said before. And that works on both sides of the floor. But if you can have three guys, one at sort of each level, a, a good perimeter guy, a good backline guy, and then one of those guys who is good sort of in between, then you can then start to cover for some of the defensive lapses of your teammates. I think the third guy, though, is the breaking point. If your third guy is, if you only have two of those guys, then you're probably going to struggle defensively as a team, especially as you face higher level offenses, and especially, especially in the playoffs where guys can be targeted. And so if you've got Ellington and Monk on the floor together at the same time, then it may need to be that they play with LeBron AD and like Trevor Ariza right. or LeBron AD and Kent Bazemore. That's at least the best version of it. And, and you're also going to score a ton of points. So like the level of defense you need to play with that, that particular group, you don't need to be the number one defense in the NBA or a top three because that team's just going to score the crap out of the ball. But if you've got like, if none can play at a good enough defensive level, then you've got more wiggle room to fill in around him. The same is true of a Bazemore or of a THT. 
if they raise their level defensively and there, then they can start to become a pairing or part of a three-man grouping that is productive defensively in a way that allows you to play both sides of the floor in a way that you gain advantage on the scoreboard. Because that's what the Lakers ultimately want to do. I think of last year's Warriors. Last year's Warriors, Steph and Draymond were amazing. And they created all this advantage in the first quarter and in the third quarter. And then in the first half of the second and the first half of the fourth quarters, that advantage almost was always completely erased because those two guys were on the bench and the Warriors were trying to cobble together these lineups, particularly offensively, but somewhat defensively as well, that simply weren't good enough. And what the Lakers want to do is the opposite. They want to punish you in the first quarter. That's why they got a third star is because they want to be able to overlap these guys in ways that they're consistently extending advantage, extending advantage, extending advantage. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, at the end of the first quarter, they're up six. And then when then AD goes out and then it's that lineup that we just discussed with like LeBron and Dwight and maybe Carmelo, right? And then who else is in there with them? Can that can that group push the lead from six to eight or six to nine or six to 10. And then when you bring back Russ and AD together, potentially at the same, same time, can they push it from nine to 12 or 15? And then suddenly you're just like, oh, well, this is a blowout. That's what the Lakers are trying to, to do. But in the middle of that, you need to find those two, those two man groupings, those three man groupings, those four man groupings that really work. One of my favorite sites to go to is this site called popcornmachine.net. And they post the box score after every single game. And the box scores show the lineup distribution and what those lineups did together. Like, oh, they were minus four or, oh, they were plus six in this three minute strand, uh, period of the game. And I love to look at that stuff after the game because it gives you a sense of the game flow. And the Lakers are going to, they're obviously not going to achieve this. They're just not going to have, oh, it's like, oh, this unit was plus two and this unit was plus three and this unit was plus five and this unit was plus one. They're not going to win each game by 100 because that's how it would go. There are going to be groupings that don't work together. Do you have concerns that Vogel, even after one game and even with, all of the guys that were out, are there things that you're seeing that you're like, hmm, I'm not sure if it's, that's going... Or is it too are, early? It ha- it's too early, but it has more to do with Vogel's body of work with the Lakers and just how he likes to do things. I, so I would like I would like two of our stars to be in the game at all times. And now maybe that's more of a playoff thing. And I mentioned in the last episode that... Russ and LeBron have historically checked out after the first dead ball, after the six minute mark. So one guy we should probably factor into that second unit that started the second quarter is Russell Westbrook. We probably have, it'd probably be more like Russ plus a shooter plus, you know, so say Russ, Monk, Dwight, LeBron, and Mello. And that's probably more, more along those lines. But I, when I talk about Vogel's body of work is, We've always started LeBron at the second, the start of the second, and he's liked saving Dwight for that shift too. 
Mm-hmm. And so the Dwight decision is one that's one of the more interesting ones to me because if Dwight only plays from the start of the second quarter and the start of the fourth quarter and gets, you know, you got AD coming back in the game around the six minute mark or so. What's that, 12 to 15 minutes for Dwight? Yeah. That's part of the reason why I'd like to see that shift kind of creep into the first quarter, maybe, rather than have DeAndre Jordan out there. But yeah, like in terms of Vogel's decisions in the past, not the Brooklyn game, but what he does with Dwight is super interesting to me. I know you're on, uh, and we'll wrap up on this point, but I know you're on the Dwight in the DeAndre Jordan type of minutes. How, How does that look in your mind? I just think Dwight's a better defensive player than DeAndre at this stage of their respective careers. And I think he's a more tenacious offensive rebounder as well. Um, And so one of the things that the Lakers are going to need need to do, especially if their half-court offense isn't as good, and I think we have to account for the fact that I think we're all optimistic at the beginning of the year, but I think we also have to be realistic that there's going to be some struggles for this team offensively, particularly in in the half court. And some of that's going to be personnel and some of it's just going to be like at the very least, 75 percent of this team's possessions are going to be half court possessions. Sure. Like we can talk about ripping and running as much as we want. Like Omar is the team's offensive coordinator. But sorry, that's a wire reference. No one's going to get that. But Pete, I know that you did. But of course, you can't do that for an entire game. I want the Lakers to win the possession battle as much as they can. And the way that you do that is by getting stops, is by being more disruptive defensively, and by being a better offensive rebounding team, right? Like, those are the ways you win the possession game. And I think Dwight helps in that area more than DeAndre does. Now, DeAndre may end up being a more fluid finisher in the big picture. He, He is a he is bigger too. He's like bigger and longer. Like you could just tell when they're standing next to, to each other. Dwight's still super imposing and his strength I think is, is going to be a huge asset, but like I want Dwight really to play more than Deandre. There's a level of mobility there. That's really important. Well, also too, like his motor revs higher too. Like that's just one of those things that I think is going to matter in like the big, big picture. That said, I don't think like me talking about it ain't, ain't going to make it so. Like right. Vogel has a history of wanting to play lots of big dudes and he's like that for a reason. It's because the more big dudes means the pain is more protected in his mind. And I get it. Like, he's a NBA championship winning head coach. Like, I'm not going to sit here and throw daggers at him as if I'm the smart one. Right? Sure. Likewise. But, but I do think that over the course of the regular season, we're likely to see Dwight be more effective than DeAndre. Whether that's a circumstance of role or whatever, I'm not exactly sure. Where are you at? Well, I would like that too. There's the physical component, right? Is how many minutes can Dwight handle and what is, you know, what what's appropriate for his, his age and role throughout the regular season. But there's also the, like DeAndre Jordan's not going to be able to play against in, in this very specific circumstances in the playoffs. So is he our JaVale innings eater, maybe in a, in a different spot. That's the guy I've always gone back to and compared to, but come playoff time, 
you know, we talk about those end of the first quarter type of lineups and Russ and LeBron going out of the game at the six minute mark or just after that. And, you know, playing those two bigs, I think that that in most circumstances, and even Dwight isn't appropriate for every That's playoff right. series. No, I was going to say, man, like even in the Lakers run to the championship, some of that was matchup based, but right. If you play Jokic, of course, yeah, yeah. Dwight's going to get some run. But how many Jokic's are there out there? And so when it comes down to it, we're talking so far down the line, we don't, but the importance of Jordan is regular season. Because when, when it comes down to it, that's AD and maybe LeBron is the backup five in a lot of series. If, if it's not in a series that's appropriate for Dwight, like, that's the guy. We, or maybe there's a buyout guy on the yeah. horizon. But I, yeah. I'll be interested to see how all of this shakes out. And it's funny how all of our conversations come full Always. circle be because yeah. the Lakers are saying all of the right things. And I was encouraged by what their defensive effort was in the first preseason game. And I know that it's something that they're working on. And Vogel is hammering the point about being a great defensive team. But this team skews more heavily towards offense. And it just does. And finding the right number of defensive players who can actually be out there and help you win games still offensively is going to be super interesting. And it's one of the unanswered questions that still exists. I'll be interested to see how long it remains unanswered for me about whether or not they can do it or not, because Vogel has a clear idea about what he wants the identity of this team to be. And whether or not they will actually achieve that identity or it will be like defensive cosplay is a whole nother thing that I think we're going to learn over the course of not only the preseason, but the first 10 to 20 games of the regular season. Very much so. That's one of the bigger storylines of this season is Vogel's philosophies and the talent on the roster. There's some push and pull between what he likes to do and maybe what they're more geared toward doing this particular group. So going to be a really fun year. We could... You know, we've done two pods off of that first preseason game. And we're going to get more data, too, from the Suns game. Absolutely. And so there's more information to come. And I'm just happy that it's back. It's it's so fun. I'm Russ has had a big impact on my energy level and like, let's do this damn thing. So I'm super excited to talk more about it. We're going to get into uh, way more of the details. And, and we're just finding clues along the way about what this team uh, is going to be. Looking forward to covering all that and more on the Laker Film Room podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.